Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 208 and this episode is with the first team sports scientist at Manchester City Women, L Turner. L came on and we discussed the evolution of the women's game. We talked about some of the biggest changes that she's seen over her time in the women's game from back in 2013 to now. We spoke about uh, the changes with the girls becoming more professional and also learning how to be professional players. We also touched on some areas for future development as well. So I'm sure you're going to take plenty from this episode with Elle. Now, just before we get to it very quickly, we've got our West Bromwich Albion networking event coming up very soon on the 27th of October. Plenty of tickets are going for this one. So make sure you act quick to get your place at the event. We've got three coaches presenting for us. We've got Tony Strubwick, Tom Page and Matt Bickley all presenting. So it'd be great to see you at that event. I also love to drop a little exclusive into these podcast episodes as well, just as a thank you for listening to the podcast. And we have got two events confirmed now after the West Brom one. So on Wednesday, the 2nd of November, we are going to be at the University of Bolton Stadium, obviously the home of Bolton Wanderers. We've got two brilliant presentations coming from Dr. John McMahon, who's a reader in sport and exercise biomechanics at Salford University. We've also got first team sports scientist to Everton, Jason O'Keefe, presenting for us as well. So really looking forward to seeing the guys present at that event. As this podcast goes out, tickets for that event will be available. So make sure you head over to footballfitfed.com, click the shop and you'll be able to grab your tickets there. We also have got another event um, to announce. I was going to put it in this episode, but I would probably leave it to the next episode. But just keep an eye out over on our socials because we'll be releasing all the details of that one coming very soon as well. Just before we dive into episode 208, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Val Performance. Vald systems are used by more than 1,600 of the world's most elite sporting teams, high-performance academies, strength and conditioning departments, and personal trainers to accurately measure human movement, performance, and rehabilitation. Enhance your training with objective data and measure what matters most with an integrated suite of human measurement technologies. For when accuracy matters, visit valdperformance.com for more information on Vald Systems. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room, post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email warren 
on warren at hytro.com to find out how hytro bfr can give your athletes a competitive edge and hytro are doing some incredible work in football and i know a lot of teams are now looking into uh, using the hytro products for their recovery as well so make sure you go and check them out hytro.com or drop warren a message he's been on the podcast uh, warren at hytro.com for more information And just finally, before we jump into the episode, I've got to say a huge thank you to Rezzle for sponsoring the podcast too. And let's get into episode 208 with L. Turner. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 208 and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by L Turner. L is the first team SNC Sports Science at Manchester City Women. L, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for freeing up some time and coming on. It's all right, you're welcome. L, can you kick us off? I've just mentioned your current role there at City. But can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on your career so far and what's led up to that role? Yeah, so I was really fortunate in 2013 when Man City got their licence for the WSL um, and there were full-time players that were um, that were involved in there. And I was part of building the team up um, in the background with Nick Cushing and, and Helen Vaughan, or Helen Sandal, she's called now. Um and yeah, I was working with them for the first three seasons. Um, did really, really well. We qualified for Champions League in our second season. Won the Conti Cup in our first season, and then the girls went on in the third season to to win um, to win the treble, which was amazing. Um, then I moved in back into the boys full time. Um, so I was uh, working with the under twelves or under sixteens as the youth development phase. Um, lead on in that section um, and then in 2018 I applied I went to get back into the women's game again so there was a role that came up um, one came up at Arsenal one came up Man United I applied for both and got offered them both and met Casey Stoney and was blown away by her vision and the plans that they had over at the red side in Manchester and um um, yeah, took took the punt and and went across there and had a brilliant three and a half seasons with them and um, then moved back to moved back to Man City then um, December last last year. Um, during that time, um, I think it was twenty eleven to twenty sixteen. I was doing my PhD as well on women's football, so looking at the physical and the match performances. Um, collected all my data in twenty eleven. In 2012, and then was writing it up then for the next four, like three, four years after that. Um, so I've been through like the, the stages. A lot's changed since um, since 2011, and when we started with City Women's in 2013, and then how it is is now. Like it's it's changed a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to touch on that because I know you've had time in, in the boys' game, but I really want to focus on your time in the women's game because I think it's 
it's fascinating, obviously, with um, the success they've had recently in terms of the England team, we're getting a lot more coverage now, which is fully deserved on, on, on Sky. And um, it's a lot more accessible, isn't it? And we see the difference in the, in the game now. It's completely different, isn't it? But on your side, I thought it'd be interesting discussing from sort of that period of 2013 to now, some of the biggest changes that you've seen on the sort of physical side, the preparation side, and even um, as athletes as well. I think um, that one of the biggest things is how professional it's been. Like, obviously, the girls then became full time and, and were professional athletes, but they, a lot of them, didn't know what it what it took to be professional. Um, so a lot of that was like education of how to um, be a professional footballer, not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well, and the importance into their strength and conditioning as well, which a lot of them hadn't had much support with unless they'd been in the international setups. Um, but yeah, in terms of like on pitch, we've seen uh, like the, the physical demands of, have improved and improved and improved. And even now, like they're not, the rate of improvement is not slowing down. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we've only really just scratched the surface in the game with, with, with these types of players and they've still got a, a lot left to, to come. But, um, what's been amazing is like their attitude and their application, like right from the get go, and how appreciative they are of the opportunity that they have to live their dream and be like full time professional athletes. Can you take us back to that sort of period of 2013 now? Just give a bit of a perception on um, what preparation was like. And I know there'll be difference because we've spoke on the phone in terms of the team, the support team now is will be completely different to before. But um, what did that look like? What were some of the key differences back then? Like, what how, what would that preparation look like for the girls? Um, I think, like, the support staff um, was very, very different. So they had um, a coach who'd been with them for quite a few seasons before um, when they were amateur. Um, he came in and then Nick Cushing came in from the boys' side as well. And um, he was leading it, like, the, the full-time, like, coaching element on there. Um they had quite a bit of a turnover with uh, the goalkeeping coach that they did have. Um, they had a changeover of, of those coaches and the assistant coach changed as well, um, which is, is taken a bit of time. But um, uh, the physio, Helen, Helen Sandor, she was um, she was doing, still doing a bit a little bit of work with the boys as well as being working with the women. And my I was only really supposed to work eight hours with the women a week. Um, which we ended up doing a lot, a lot more than that. Um, and um, yeah, back then there was, I'd work with the boys, like I'd get up in the morning and go to work and I'd be with the boys um, until maybe four or five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, there were five, at, at that point when we very first started, they started with five uh, full-time like professional players. So that was Jill Scott, Steph Horton, Karen Barsley, Tony Duggan and Betsy Hassett. So they would come in in the morning, they would train with the under 18 boys. Um, Then they would have lunch, then go home and rest. Then they would come back in the evening and then they'd train them with the the part-time players. So we had players that would be in in work all day and then they would come to the training ground um, Mm. then in the evening. But um, we were on a a different site as well. I think it was Wyatt Robinson's College. Um, which is on like um, it's on an astroturf as well outside. Um, so 
uh, how it is now. Like the girls are obviously the everybody is is full time now. Um, I think that season towards the back end of the first season we had um, we then came under the academy academy umbrella and we had um academy director called Mark Allen and but he really bought into the women's game and he valued it so much and he made sure like the girls got what they needed to be professional like even little things of making sure that um the girls like got their kit washed even the part-time players like so that they weren't having to work all the time and then then having to focus on washing the kit just like small things like that that made like such a, a big difference and but he really looked after the women's team and and pushed it on and um made sure that they were they were getting the support but also that the girls were giving back as well and make sure that they were they were hitting like the high standards of what's required at, at Manchester City mm. yeah definitely it's really interesting that transition isn't it when you say there's there's just a handful of players that were professional and the way they sort of had to blend in with the 18s boy team because until the rest of the squad got there. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's compared to now as well. Um, just on that as well, Al, going back to that time, what was it like in terms of gym work? Like, what was the exposure like for the girls in terms of working in the gym back then? Um, we actually used the gym at Salford Uni, um, down at there, that, that uh, they have. With, um, so I worked with, with Paul Comfort. Um, and at the moment, at that time, I was still doing my PhD, so... And I was collecting a lot of data. So we were able to use the performance lab there and still use like the S&C facilities, which I don't know if you've been down there, but um, they were good back then, but they've even ex- they've expanded it as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we used to go down there and then I'd have the support of um, like the other students that were down there. So they got experience that way and the players got more like one-to-one coaching and um, we were able to build like some really good foundations with them at that point. So was that the players that were full time, or was that the whole squad? Like, how did that work? All players, yeah. Was it? So in the yeah in the evenings when we weren't at the um, at the college on the AstroTurf, we would be twice a week. We would do our strength our strength training over at Salford Uni. Yeah. So then they've had they've still had to, in terms of like training age and, and gym work. When you're looking at those players, and obviously a few of those are still playing at the highest level now. They've had a, a good amount of years, haven't they, of exposure to that to that work now? Yeah. Yeah, we try to get in like good habits on making sure like even before they'd start training, we've got a pre-act session in place. Um, we'd get we'd condition them as well, like during the session. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we needed to do some conditioning at the end and, and bolt stuff onto the training that we hadn't managed to hit for, for whatever reason. Um and then they'd also get the the exposure then in, in the S&C sessions in the gym. Yeah, because that's what, what you see, isn't it, in the game now, with it being so explosive, so quick. Um, there's, there's obviously a big change in terms of athletes as well, isn't there? They're, they're very different now to um, going back a few years. You're looking at some real, real athletes now out there, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they're going to slow down either. I think they're just going to keep getting... They keep getting better and better. Even the teams yeah. that don't really have um, probably the budget, the financial budget to to buy the best players. Yeah, you might not be able to buy the best players who are technically and tactically at the, at the very top of their game. But what you can do is it doesn't cost money like to train the players mm. and train them in a certain way. So you, you're finding now that the, the, 
the teams that don't have a big budget to buy those big players, they're still like challenging the top teams because of they'll outrun you and they want to win more than what some of the, the big teams do. Yeah. And they and make it very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that in mind, so like we've sort of talked about them early years and taking it back to now and sort of beyond. You talked about this this development and how the game is just progressively getting better all the time. We're on this upward curve at the moment, aren't we? Mm-hmm. How does that translate into what you do? Because obviously the game, if the game's going to be, get quicker, and we've spoke a lot about the future of football and it's, there's predictions of all sorts of um, that people are making on the game, but what does that look like for you in terms of when you're prepping players? Um, we we do try and stay like five, like three, five steps ahead. Um, that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned from the first season at Man City. Like we didn't expect to qualify for Champions League in the second season. Um, and then the following season, because it was a summer league back then, so you had to wait another season before you then went into the Champions League, um, like the knockout rounds and whatnot. Um, but that's one of the biggest learning curves. And what when I went and worked with Casey Stone at United, that was the first, very first thing that we did. Like the, the best case scenario was we qualified for Champions League in our second season because we started in the championship. So the best case scenario would be, would be this. We need to make sure all the players are physically ready to cope with the demands of Champions League football of where it's going to be in like three years' time. Yeah. Um, so we, we try and do that now. Is It's always try and stay like three, five steps ahead of the game and don't com- become complacent. And you're always working towards like where it's going to be, not where it currently is now because the game just keeps moving and evolving. What does that look like for you in terms of... Um attributes or points of data maybe that you're keeping an eye on it, it, where, does, where does your focus go to when you're looking at that sort of three to five year plan um, it's working backwards and making sure the girls are, are training at the right level like on the pitch um, but they're also they're, they're getting the stuff in the gym as well to be able to cope with those demands so for example if the game's going to get quicker they're going to be doing more, uh, more sprints like you're gonna to have to make sure that the girls have like strong enough, robust hamstrings to be able to cope with those demands when it does happen in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Um. So we're constantly kind of like reviewing like where we're at, where we need to go, and if we're on track. Um, and just keep re reevaluating. I'm, I'm trying to make it like individual specific to to each of the players because they're all totally different. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You you talked before as well about Champions League. Um, and obviously that's placing demands on the players from different points in terms of extra travel, but then also playing teams from different countries and different styles, different mm-hmm. weather conditions. There's all sorts of different factors that come into that as well. What have been some of the learnings that you've taken away from um, getting players into Champions League as well? Um, it's... For them to be able to cope with like three games in a week, yeah. um, plus travel on top of that. So we're working on something really unique and special at the moment that's not been done in the women's game before. Um, I can't really talk too much about it, but it's it's gonna it's gonna be um, a game changer. Um, but yes, that's one of the biggest kind of challenges that we have faced where you've got you've played a game it's hard enough for them to get them to recover and get enough fuel into them and you've got the recovery strategies of what you need and 
um, when you're on the road as well, you've got to be really adaptable. For, so, for example, at the training ground, we like it's great. We have um, we have ice baths already in there, and they're set to a, a specific temperature, and it's all done like automatically. But obviously, when you're on the road, you don't get access to that. And if the other team have that, like they're not going to let you. Yeah. Um, they're not going to let you borrow it. So um, you have to be really adaptable. But I think one of the biggest lessons from um, like the pandemic and COVID and how how you had to be adaptable, like things that you've never even thought of or you've never even been taught before. Like it just becomes like life experience mm. um, and working with the players as well. Like, cause a lot of the time I found like the players have better ideas than, than what you do. So if you collaborate really well and you have really good working relations with shits with them, like you get good buying, but then you also get good feedback as well of, of ways yeah. of how we can push things on further because they think totally differently to what like the uh, the staff think, so it's it's a two way thing. Yeah, especially like some of the names you mentioned before, who've been in the game for a number of years now, played at the highest level. They're going to have learned a lot of stuff over that time, aren't they? About their bodies and yeah, how how they recover, how they can go again, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. In terms of we talked before as well about the girls getting more professional and essentially learning how to be professional athletes. Like what, what was the process for that from your perspective? Was that a case of just constant communication? Was there a certain education needed around it or was it a bit of like a trial and error? We need to see what we need to deal with along the way. I think we were really fortunate, like myself, Helen and, and Kush, we were surrounded by some, some very experienced people that had a lot of experience in the game, um, but also experience in like elite performance. Um, so like, I've touched on, on um, like Mark Allen before, um, who was like the academy director, but we also had Grant Downey who had years and years and years of experience. Um, and um, we were able to learn from him. We had Matt Cook as well, who worked a long time in the, like the Olympic setup and, um, and then we had professional footballers that come in that had had like huge amount of experience as well. Um, we had Cherry Daly then that came in, who's had a lot of experience with um, with England rugby and won the Women's World Cup with them. So we were really fortunate. We had um, like yeah, I, I was very like, inexperienced and had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn now, but we were able to lean on these types of people and and kind of listen to their stories and what worked, what didn't work, uh, what's professional, what's not. And there was always challenges that came up and like having them as like a bouncing board and um, listening to what they would do or listening to that. They'd always have like something that had happened similar to that, that specific moment. Um, And like together we were able to kind of come up with like and pave a way forward. Um. So we wouldn't have been able to do that without without those staff around us. And what was the sort of reception like from players? Was it just sort of accepted that things had to, I suppose, change and the habits had to change because this was different now, it was professional? We, yeah, we were basically told to either fit in or you, you kind of go. Um, yeah. And yeah, look, some of them did fall away. Um but that that's kind of part of it. Like you either we're not wait, the bus isn't waiting. Mm. Like you either get on the bus or 
um if you need to get off like that's that's fine like this this life isn't for everybody yeah um and like the stress and, and the pressure and the demands that are being put on you to to kind of perform and and to be a professional footballer like if, if look if that's not for you like that that's fine um because we, we understood like it wasn't for everyone but we do our very best to kind of drag them on along and when it things got a little bit tough did you see those standards driven by the players as well? So when you're talking about nutrition, about recovery, was that very much driven by the players to the players as well? Um, yeah, we we had like, right at the beginning, it was very chalk and cheese. Like we had a very big mixture of, of the players. Um, some that would would like do everything like to their knowledge and their and and what they knew at the time, like they did everything properly and they would leave no stone unturned. But then we'd have, we would have like other players that wasn't at that level. Um, and the players would do their best to kind of drag them along with them and to lead by example. Um, but for some of them, like they didn't, um, they didn't kind of make it through. Just a very quick one from me. Make sure you head over to our online community and check out some of the content we've got available there. If you're not already a community member, you can join coaches who've recently signed up from clubs like Rangers, Bradford City, Bayer Leverkusen, Melbourne Victory, Morecambe, Manchester City, and plenty of other clubs. They've claimed a free month on the community by going to footballfitfed.com signing up there you get a free month to see what it's all about you can access all the great content on there webinars presentations q and a's there's over 100 hours now of content available after that free month you get full access to the site but you also get access to our whatsapp group our members whatsapp group and there's constant communication going on in there on a number of different topics, including a few job opportunities that come up every now and again as well. So make sure you go and check it out by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community, community tab and signing up there for your free month. Just before we get back into the podcast, I've got to say another huge thank you to our sponsors, Val Performance. I'm sure there's a lot of practitioners out there that have either used the Val kit or um, have the Val kit at the club. Um, there's the Nordboard, Force Dex, Force Frame, and a number of other great bits of technology available from Val Performance. So make sure if you don't have access to it, go and check them out, valdperformance.com, and that'll give you all the information you need. Let's get into part two of the podcast now with L Turner. Yep. So in terms of looking forward on how the game's progressing, has there been any changes in terms of access, accessibility for data, like collecting data, analysis on, on that side? Um, yeah, from back then, um, we used to use um, GP Sports. Uh, they were the units that we used back then. And, and obviously that... Um, the way you collect like the GPS data now that there's a lots of brands out there and um we we currently use Stat Sports, which which are brilliant, but I know there's there's other ones that are out there which are also very, very good. Um but one of the really good things now is that we get to actually see the players live and of what they're doing in the session. So when I for example, when I do a warm-up and I'm doing max max velocity, for example, um it'll tell you exactly like the speed that they hit so 
I always want to try and get them to hit 90% of their max speed PB like twice a week um, just to make sure that the hamstrings like are really robust like and uh, we protect them so when if we're not what you don't want to do is not hit it during the training training week and then they go and do a max a max effort in a game and then the hamstring goes yeah. Um, so it's just one of one of many things that we are doing to make sure we keep the hamstrings as healthy as we can. But yeah, we have like we have it, it live, so we we can see exactly uh, like so in the warm up when I do, um, we end up doing sprints at the end. You can see exactly who's hit over that ninety percent mark and who hasn't. But it's also really good. It is so I always read them out to the to the girls like aloud, and you you might get some that get one hundred and two percent, so they got a new P like new PB. And like the girls are absolutely buzzing for them, yeah. Um, and then the, the players like pop a chuff for themselves, um, which is really nice. But another good thing is that at the end of the session, you can see if you've actually hit your the, uh, like the physical qualities that you set to uh, that you set out at the start. So say you needed to hit a certain amount of high speed running or um, a certain sprint distance or or whatnot, you can actually see. Like as the session's going on, if you if you're hitting it, if if the drills supposed to achieve the physical outcome of what you kind of planned and intended it to do. Um but also if you have players that are a bit work shy, uh, you can actually see like whether they've actually put in it in or not. Um and there's there's nowhere to hide within that, which yeah. like in the past when we first started, I'd have to get the units, download them all in the office and then um then you're like oh god like this player didn't they didn't get it um whereas now like we don't we don't have that issue we can solve it right in the moment and we're not chasing everything then for the rest of the week and then closer to the game as well um and putting more load on them just to kind of chase numbers and, and whatnot um we can kind of hit it in in the moment um it's a lot more seamless isn't it and, and mm. also efficient in terms of time as well, because you, you, it's there and then, isn't it? So if you need to act on whether it's adapting a session, adapting a drill, or like you say, putting something extra in for certain players, it's there and then, isn't it? Rather than waiting for that feedback in an hour's time or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we use it as well for match days. So the, if players, if a player's been on and they've played 15 minutes, for example, like we'll then know exactly what to do then in the top-ups at the end each of them have like a target that they that they need to achieve yeah um so that's one of the like the biggest ones as well what we've been able to use it for or if there's players coming back from injuries and we've set certain kind of guidelines um then we've we've always got that there as well that so we can kind of adjust as we go rather than going right this player's playing this amount of minutes and then that's it yeah, yeah. If it's an easy if it's an easier game physically we might be able to push things on a little bit further which the coaches really, really um, appreciate. Brilliant. Ellis, some great information in there. Um, if it's good with you, we'll move on to our quick fire questions at the end okay. of the podcast, which <laughs> I, need a different name. I always say they need a different name because they're not quick questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, probably Grant Downey and Matt Cook. Some Do you need me to names. go into detail? You can, you can, you can expand on that. I'm sure a lot of people. Well, Grant's been on the podcast. Oh, um, nice. a fair while ago now, actually. He needs to get Grant back on, but yeah, I'm sure <laughs> some people have heard of Grant. But yeah, if you could expand, that'd be great. Yeah, I think, but like both of them at the time, 
if, of my career. Like, I needed a break. Like I was kind of struggling to to kind of get my foot in the door, and like I was working so hard. Like I was doing, I was doing my PhD and doing four jobs at the same time. Um, like two of them weren't even related to like to football at all. Um, so yeah, they they kind of give me a chance and um, they worked really hard with me. Like Grant worked with me on like my communication and like my human side, like how to connect with people and um, like, like how to coach, but like still living by my values and what they stood for. So he did a lot with me as a person yeah. to firstly understand my values and what I was about and um, like how I wanted to, how I wanted to kind of what I wanted to be known for and and what I wanted to stand for and, and whatnot and like he was a brilliant mentor with me like from day one until until the day that he that he retired um and then on the flip side um and then I'd, I'd Matt Cook um who was like ridiculous attention to detail and um I had a lot of things I still have a lot of things to work on but I had a hell of a lot more to work on back then and like he would get up and meet me at 6am in the morning like and do uh, and upskill me and spend a lot of time with me and on my coaching and my delivery and my coaching points and my cues and um, like he, he really went out of his way like to, to help me with that and um, made me have a real attention to detail to data um, and the analysis and how to get that across and uh, he was brilliant so I was really fortunate that I had both of those influences at, at, at that same time whether official or unofficial that's essentially what mentors are isn't it the people there that, that yeah. give you that chance give you that support like that and I think the other thing you touched on there El, is it the importance of having people that can cover different skills as well like you just mentioned about grant covering more the sort of whether you call them soft skills or however you want to phrase it Matt focusing more on the actual applied sort of practice side of things. Like it's really important to have people that fit into those different areas as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then being like, as I kind of went through the years and like being aware of like, you've like the areas that you've got gaps in yeah. and like learning from learning from whoever, like whoever it is and being more, like more aware of your surroundings and the people around you and how you can like I'm a big believer like everyone you meet like know something that you don't like yeah. whether that's the cleaner whether that's the receptionist whether that's the CEO or the academy director like there's there's always something that you can learn from these people um and we've been like really like really fortunate like to have like a, a great group a great group of people yeah brilliant El what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I think as a practitioner now, probably like my adaptability. Like, I don't think, I think I was quite regimented at the start of, of the start of my career, like one plus one equals two. Yeah. And then that, that's it. <laughs> Um, but I think working with certain athletes and they've really tested me and I've now realised that there's there's other ways to get to an outcome and 
it's just been like really adaptable to to that person and um and trying to get trying to get buy-in from from the player and build a relationship with them and like I don't think that used that used to be one of my my weaknesses but I feel like now like I've worked on it so much that it it actually helps me with with my coaching mm. element now and um and how I program things and like I can be more individualized to the to them because I connect with them better as a person mm. because I meet them more now like more than halfway like to get like to get that connection with them and to learn a lot more about them whereas before like I wouldn't I was very private and wouldn't give anything away but I've learned like if you open up like the player will open up as well and then once they've opened up you then learn more about what makes them tick and and how they function as a person as well as an athlete because you can come up with the best program in the world, but if you don't get buy-in with that player, like there's no point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of people, especially younger coaches, will struggle with that exact point. Um, coming out of university or coming off the back of courses or whatever, essentially you've got the knowledge there to do the majority of the job. But like you said, having that sort of experience that exposure to players and knowing how to work them is a very different thing isn't it I think you've already answered this but if people are in that scenario and they're just sort of banging their heads against the wall they can't get the message through to players or they can't seem to seem to build this in this relationship what would be your top bit of advice I know you've gone through a little bit there um like use the people around you like because they probably had experience with a similar type of, pl- of player and similar type of person. Yeah. Um, I think um, like being like being patient. I'm I'm working at the moment with um, with FIFA on a women's um, physical performance program. It's like a mentor program. So we've been supporting um, like the Oceania regions for the last like maybe 17, 18 months now. Before their OFC Cup that that happened in July, and um, there's some absolutely outstanding like practitioners on that that are leading the program, but also the mentors as well. And we've been able to share like different ideas and whatnot and bounce things off each other. But there's also been workshops, and we had a workshop from Carl Lines, and he was big on like. So we 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 we'd be working with one of the member associations, so one of the countries, and. It's it's over it's over Zoom like this. So you're having to build like rapport and relationship and trust mm. like over a computer screen. Yeah. So he, he gave us a, like a lot of information and and they coached us a lot like to help upskill us in this area and um said like one of the biggest like bits of advice was don't go in and start changing stuff and start going, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But first thing first is go in and build the trust, build the relationship like and build the foundation and then you can start then like pull like pulling stuff in or oh, what about this what about this um so that worked really really well but then I think also like say for example I'm struggling with a player and it might be that one of the coaches like Alaman or Gaz Taylor might have a better relationship with that player so the information or the session of what you're trying to get across is best delivered and led by that particular staff member yeah so and it's just parking your ego and going well as long as the outcome gets done at the end it doesn't matter how we get there and, and who does it um it's going to be for the the good of the team great advice 
I'm glad you expanded on that because you give some absolute gold there. That was really good. Um, the other question I normally ask is if you were to go back a few years now, if you go sort of pre-2013, what would be your top bit of advice for you? Career Say advice. That Say that again, sorry. What would be the top bit of advice for a younger L? Um, is... Like not not to worry too much that it'll all work out. That probably be the main thing, and there's no rush. Like enjoy the process. You don't have to get there as fast as you can, and and kind of cut not cut corners. I don't mean cut corners as in cut corners with your work. I mean like cut corners as in like not looking after yourself, yeah. like your your mental and your physical well being and the time, um, like what keeps you healthy, like spending time with your friends and your family, like not cutting those co- those types of corners, which I guess it's something that I kind of, I'm still working on now mm. um, and still trying to, to get this bit right. Yeah, brilliant. And then just finally, Al, I always ask about CPD and I know you've mentioned the group there that you're working with, with FIFA. I'm, so, I'm sure there's plenty of learning opportunities there, but... What's your general approach to CPD now? Is it is it conversations? Is it podcasts, articles, research? How do you go about continually improving? Um, I really, really like learning from other sports and from other industries. I think the game can learn a lot from either like different coaches in different environments or um, different leadership roles within different like businesses and, and corporations. Um, so I really, I really enjoy like going to like different, different places or reading like the books about them and whatnot. Um, so before the pandemic, um, like my United was, they were going to support me to go over to spend some time with Cirque du Soleil and, um, over in, over in Las Vegas and then, then go and spend some time at Altis, um, in Arizona and obviously like, um, uh, it didn't happen because everything was still in lockdown and there was no travel at that point that summer. Um, but like going to those types of, of places and those types of people and um, I think you, they're absolute gems. You can learn so much about them because um, again, like you, you're going in there and it's a different, obviously it's a different skill set, but it's again, it's totally different people um, and totally different like pressures and and risk. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Ella, that's been absolutely class. Thank you very much for doing Thank it. You. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, if people have got questions, if they want to reach out to you, is there anywhere that you direct them? Um, probably Instagram. Um, get me more on them. I've still not worked out how to how to use LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> my friend Rob Martin's supposed to be giving me like an education on it, but just getting time <laughs> so maybe <laughs> to, to not linkedin for, for now maybe <laughs> yeah. stick to instagram for now yeah so if anyone's messaged me on linkedin then they've not got back to them i'm not being rude i just don't know how to use it <laughs> brilliant well thank you very much and um all the best for the rest of the season thank you so much i appreciate it ben thank you 
Big, big thank you to Elle for coming on the podcast. It was great to finally catch up with Elle, someone that I've been chasing down for a while to get onto the podcast. So I really appreciate her coming on and giving up her time. I think we covered some really important uh, aspects of the women's game and how it's developed over the years that Elle's been involved in it. So if you're working in women's football, I'm sure you took plenty from that, but there's plenty of crossovers anyway as well. Um, in terms of takeaways, she mentioned a few things uh, towards the start in terms of l- players learning how to be pro and that coming from education. One point that stood out for me is where she said about trying to stay three to five steps ahead at all times. And that comes from communication with staff. Um, obviously, we were talking about like the future demands of the game as well, but also always trying to look ahead and, and be those few steps ahead of the programme and where things are at, are at currently. Learning from the players was another thing that she spoke about. Obviously, when you've got the likes of Steph Horton and a number of others that you're working with, these are players that you definitely can learn from. They've developed ways of recovering and um, ways of performing that as, as practitioners, we have to be open-minded enough to speak to these players and learn lessons from them as well as giving them bits of insight from us as well. And then the other thing she spoke about was learning from different industries, looking out, opening your mind and, and really trying to be creative with what we can take from different industries. And I think that's a really, really good point. Try and get out your comfort, bu- uh, comfort zone, your comfort bubble, look into really different industries. We did it recently at one of our networking events down at Oxford and um, we looked at all sorts of different different teams, different high performance performing teams like Tesco and I and Apple and all different industries that you can learn a lot of different lessons from if you open your mind and, and start to think about it. So it's definitely a good task to do. Make sure you go and give Elle a follow. And also, if you when you've shared the podcast, which I'm sure you'd be very kind in doing, make sure you tag her as well. So she's on Twitter. L-E-L-L-E underscore Turner 04 over on Twitter and you can follow her on Instagram L underscore Turner 04 on Instagram. So give us a tag on there and make sure you share the episode. And just before I let you go, I want to say a massive thank you again to our sponsors, Val Performance and Rezzle. Go and check those out. Um, They do some great work in the game and I know a lot of people use their products as well already but go and keep up to date with the work that they've got going on within football it'd be great to see you supporting the uh, the sponsors that we've got on the podcast too and just finally i have asked the last few weeks to get a few more reviews on the podcast i'm just going to read a couple out now so we've had ones that says fantastic resource five star love this podcast as it provides not only insight but fantastic and interesting approaches to the ever-changing sports science environment. And that's from Harry. So big thank you to Harry. And then also from Phil, five star. I'm new to the podcast and Ben is doing a great job in producing content for all practitioners working within sport. This is now on my top podcast to listen to when I have spare time and increasing my knowledge. So those guys have both got free copies of one of our eBooks. So if you also want to get a free copy, please head over to the podcast app leave us a five-star review. Once you've left the review, screenshot it and email it to mail at footballfitfed.com and I'll send you out a free ebook as a thank you. Thank you again for listening to the podcast and all for all your support. There's some big episodes coming in the next few. So I will speak to you again in episode 209.